jazz musicians don't have a monopoly on having an experimental disposition. We can all have that. We can all live with ears 10 feet high. Duke Ellington again, which you compose over 2,000 songs. Duke, what's your favorite? My next one. <laughs> so he just, I love that answer. He doesn't have a monopoly on expectation, anticipation, thinking, believing, trusting that the best is yet to be. Those lessons transcend musicality. You know, even if you never are a lover of jazz, you can become a lover of freedom, a lover of creativity, anticipation, a lover of humility, because it takes humility to live with lavish openness and radical receptivity. It says, I haven't learned it all. In fact, I'm just starting. And so I think there are tenets of jazz that are universal. Welcome to the Center for Congregations podcast. This is a conversation for anyone invested in sustaining and strengthening their faith communities. The Center for Congregations is an Indiana nonprofit that exists because we believe the work of your congregation is essential. Our mission is to strengthen your congregation, helping you find the right information or expertise for your congregation's needs. We're able to do this work because of the generosity of the Lilly Endowment. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Center for Congregations podcast. I am one of the co-hosts here, Ben Tapper. I work out of our central region office in Indianapolis, and I'm joined by the magnanimous Matt Burke, who is out of our Fort Wayne office and our director of education. Hey, Matt. Magnanimous. I'll take that. (laughs) I kind of think I know what it means. (laughs) The same. (laughs) I'm going to have to Google it here in a minute. (laughs) I think it's a good thing. Hey, Ben. Uh, so today we had a really unique conversation. Many of our conversations on this podcast are unique, but today we had the privilege of speaking with Dr. Kirk Byron Jones about jazz, jazz and spirituality, jazz and ministry, what we can learn from music in general. And I'm wondering, Matt, how this shows up not only in your work that you do as the education director and Northeast director, but maybe also even more broadly in your life. So to be entirely honest, it first came on my radar because of Dr. Jones. We brought him in for an education event way back in like 2015 or 2016. And he talked about the creative elements of jazz, the playful elements of jazz that kind of informed his life and his faith. But honestly, and as probably most of our listeners can imagine, we don't have a lot of congregations calling in saying, hey, can you help us make a connection between jazz and faith? Right. (laughs) Pretty rare. (laughs) It's not something that happens a whole lot. I can't say in my personal life, one of my professors in seminary talked about how learning jazz guitar helped him with biblical interpretation. And I don't remember the exact connection, but I know that he just had a very passionate understanding of how jazz and improvisation and the way that it's created and the way that it's collaborated really informed the way he understood how scripture came together, which I always thought was fascinating. And I myself am not someone who's a big fan of jazz. I'm not going to make the ignorant statement that I don't like jazz because I think that jazz is a huge world. I have a friend who's very much into it. And some of the things that he's into, the more experimental, I know that I don't care for. But I also know that it's a giant world that probably there are some things in there that I would absolutely love. 
So it's not something that is personally interesting or important to me, at least right now. But there are a lot of people that I respect that deeply appreciate jazz, not just for its musicality, but what it teaches them about life in general. And I find that fascinating. Mm. You know, to your point, it doesn't come up as often in our work. I mean, I get a few cases occasionally that talking about worship or worship music, but by and large, music isn't something that we delve into too much. Though it is something that I pay attention to daily because I need music to motivate me to work or to put me in the right frame of mind or the right emotional space to get certain tasks done. And so I'm always thinking about it. So if you're here in the central office, you will regularly hear my music playing. And if you visit our Northwest office, still the only office I know of that when you walk in, there is music playing. And I love that they do that. I love the vibe they set up there because it just, it creates a different atmosphere. And so I think it shows up internally and in some ways, but in terms of cases and working with congregations, I don't hear this talked about too much, which I think makes our conversation today even more powerful and even more important. Because I imagine that after hearing it, people and communities might begin to think more intentionally about their music, not only in the worship setting, but maybe other ways that it can be used. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And two things as we enter into the conversation with Dr. Jones, first of all, music, I think, is really core to the human experience. And I think we don't pay enough attention to that. In fact, there's even some brain science studies that have been done about communal singing and what that does to your brain and your body and the feeling of belonging, being in sync with others. So there's something really deep rooted in us that has to do with music. And I think we should pay attention to that. And secondly, as you're listening to this, you may not be a fan of jazz or music in general, but as you listen to Dr. Jones's passion and as you listen to our conversation, maybe just be thinking about something that you are passionate about and how you might be able to make similar connections. So something that you already love that is some form of expression, some form of nature, and be thinking about the intersections of what that thing is and how that might inform your faith, your leadership, your congregational community, because I think that's something that is important as well. Well said, Matt. Well said. Uh, and we will not beleaguer this anymore. We've got an excellent interview, so we hope you all enjoy it. Next up, Dr. Kirk Byron-Jones. here with Dr. Kirk Byron-Jones, who's an author and speaker. Dr. Jones, thank you so much for being here with us. Good to be with you, Matt. Ben, thank you for having me. Absolutely. It is our pleasure. And I want to make sure to say this on the front end. If you have not ever read one of his books, you need to pick up one of them, any of them, maybe all of them, because this man has a lot of wisdom to offer, a lot of things to share about life and especially around self-care, about fulfillment, about joy. And that's one of the things that we wanted to talk with him about today, because he's written two books about the intersection of jazz and congregational life. So, Dr. Jones, the books are The Spiritual Treasure of Jazz and I believe The Jazz of Preaching. Is that right? Yes, sir. So I'm curious, when did you first fall in love with jazz? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so I was born in New Orleans. OK, the birthplace of jazz. 
But, you know, I was right smack in the middle of it and didn't develop an appreciation for jazz until much later. And long story short, and the story is in the spiritual treasure of jazz. It may be in the jazz of preaching as well. The spiritual treasure of jazz was written in 21 and the jazz of preaching was written in 2004, I believe, a few years ago. Yeah, 2004. I was having a tough time one Saturday night. I'm a pastor, pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church in Boston. It was a rough week. And that Saturday night, I was about ready to quit. <laughs> the sermon wasn't ready. And I was just down. And in my downness, I said, you know what, God, I'm not having it. I'm not even playing my regular gospel music tonight. I'm going to put on this jazz, okay? At a jazz CD that I was given, Ella Fitzgerald, the intimate Ella. I did not know anything about Ella. I knew the name. I did not know of her powers. I put it on and she started singing slow ballads. Paul Smith is at the piano. She started putting out stuff like uh, Black Coffee and My Melancholy Baby. She ends with Reach for Tomorrow. While I'm listening to her, I begin to cry. And when she's done with me, I realize something. I'm no longer feeling down. Whatever was in me that was suppressing me and oppressing me, she sung out of me. And as I share the story, I think I heard God say, gotcha. <laughs> it was one of the most amazing, liberating experiences of my life, you know? And then I said, wow, what, who, who, Ella Fitzgerald, what jazz, what? And then I began to take the dive. I said, this stuff that has the power to do this for me, I need to learn more about. And it was on. I became a student of jazz. Then recognizing that it was in me because I was born in New Orleans, it's supposed to be. And so it continues to be just a marvelous, marvelous adventure. Before you ask me the question, I'm going to say I believe that jazz is the exclamation point to the resurrection. That's how much I feel about it. I believe that jazz, not just the genre, but what it represents, is another coming of God into our world. And I'll playfully argue that with anyone. <laughs> that reminds me of something a professor in seminary once told us. He was talking about how in our faith tradition, the Holy Spirit is not just active in things that are, quote, Christian, end quote, but the Holy Spirit is present and active in all aspects of society. And I can't remember which Pearl Jam song it was, but he talked about a Pearl Jam song that was one of the most profound theological songs he had ever heard. And that blew my mind. And what you're describing reminds me of that, that if we're paying attention, we see that God is present and active in so much that's going on around us, where in what you thought was your rebellion, <laughs> you found God in the midst of that. And just the beauty of that. That's so cool. It's tremendous. Madeline Lingle, the great writer, has this marvelous line, there's nothing so secular that it can't be sacred. Mm -hmm. There is nothing so secular that it can't be sacred. And I believe that. And I, I feel really met and been absolutely blessed mm -hmm. by that whole experience and the years of exploration and discovery since. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Jazz is a whole, the world and universes when it comes to all of these musicians and the instrumentalists and the songs. It's wow on wow in wow. <laughs> Yeah. That's amazing. I don't know that I have a question here. I'm reflecting on my own experiences with jazz, Dr. Jones. And I just was in New Orleans last weekend, actually, for the second weekend of Jazz Fest down there. Amazing time. Love the city. And 
as I was walking the streets of New Orleans, I couldn't help but reflect on how different life felt when there was music everywhere all the time. And that's what different parts of New Orleans felt like, you know, whether it was a Saturday or Sunday morning at a cafe, at Jazz Fest, at a diner on the weekend, like there was just music everywhere. You don't hear that in Indianapolis necessarily. And so (laughs) I'm wondering, you know, as I'm thinking about it, I'm reflecting on like music's ability to connect us or maybe make us aware of that which we can't see, i.e. the spirit. How would you reflect on that premise? Wow. So, wow. People talk about vibrations, you know, in life and existence. And there's all kinds of theories about vibrations and energy. And jazz and music represents sound. Those things that make life, life hidden. Mm. We don't necessarily see them but they smack of life so that when you hear a song, you feel something undeniably meaningful, Mm. undeniably. You can just hear a few notes that can express what you're feeling that words cannot give a testimony about, but the notes can. Mm. So then I thank the universe, God, that in a world filled with so much that smacks of horror and atrocity, and suffering, that we've got this other mm-hmm. that brings life, joy, honesty, you know, because sometimes the emotion that we have is not hallelujah, but it's horror. Yeah. And being able to name that, be honest about that is liberating. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think mm-hmm. jazz and all music. I mean, where would we be, my God? Where would we be without music? song, notes, rhythm, beat. I don't want to live in a universe such as that is hell. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. That to me smacks of hell. Hell is a place where there's no music. (laughs) Yeah. So I resonate with it. I resonate with it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious, there's a favorite song of mine that hits a certain point where a violin comes in. It's kind of a alt country song and a violin comes in and almost every single time I hear it, it almost brings me to tears, but it's this unknown thing. Like, I don't know why it does that to me. So as you reflect on how music and particularly jazz has affected you, how do you see that as an interactivity of the divine among us when we encounter moments like that? Mm. Oh, you're asking some really nice questions. <laughs> So, well, this is interesting. Now you're moving me to think that music, jazz, is another proof. Thomas Aquinas, the theologian, talks about proofs for the existence of God. A proof for the existence of divinity, it seems to me, is the reality of music. Mm -hmm. That there is this entity that has the power to, well, I mean, people with dementia who have lost the capacity to communicate rationally. Yet when a particular song is played, something is triggered inside and they're filled with life and vitality and vibrancy again, and miracles occur. So to me, there is a connection between the power of music and the reality of the unexpressible, the reality Mm -hmm. of divinity. And you know what? I'm grateful we don't have all the words to articulate it because it's beyond words. If we had all the words to articulate it completely, it would be false. 
but we know that we know that we know because of the feelings that we get beyond complete definition, but undeniably real, mm. undeniably real. Yeah. Can take us to a place, you know, that is ecstatic. I'm not a professional singer, but I love song and I've been singing ever as long as I've been preaching. And I've been preaching for a long time. I started when I was a boy. So it's 50 years this May. Oh, wow. And not long after I started preaching in the world and as a 13 year old, I started singing as well. And so sometimes I would sing before the sermon and sometimes after and sometimes in the middle. Right. And I've continued to do that throughout my preaching career. And Sunday at our church in Lynn, Massachusetts, at the end of the sermon, I just started singing this song. And it did for the sermon. It went beyond words and helped to express something that I couldn't express completely with words. But with a song, yeah, it was brought home. Mm-hmm. It was brought home. So thank God for that reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to super nerd out here. <laughs> And talk about J.R.R. Tolkien. I don't know if you're familiar much with his writings, but in his book called The Silmarillion, which was kind of his overarching mythology about Middle Earth. And J.R.R. Tolkien, for listeners who aren't familiar with him, he was a Christian. So this was not an alternative creation story that he was providing, but just a framework that he was using for the mythology that he had created for the world of the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit. But creation came from song that I believe it was Iluvatar who was the high god sang into existence lower order of beings and invited them to join in the song as well. And so all of creation was based on the singing of the divine, which I thought was a very cool sense of music as foundational to reality in some way, shape, or form. That's amazing. That's amazing. (laughs) You say that, and I think of James Weldon Johnson's God's Trombones. Uh, where creation is a melody, is a rhythmic expression, is creative. Wow. Now I'm going to, you're going to have me go to Tolkien's works. <laughs> I know of them, I know of the movies, but I don't think I've read anything. I need to, but now, see, now I must do it. Yeah. I'm wondering about the subversive and comforting nature of music, jazz in particular. So I'm a former saxophone player, and so I have a special fondness for jazz music especially but one of the things that I love about it is the amount of freedom of expression that is present in jazz music jazz takes the traditional confines of music blows the walls open only to reset them in a different place so that by the time you end you were still in a room right you thought you weren't going to be but you actually still are right and so there's this freedom and structure that I think really speaks to what it means to be human and maybe what it means to be a person of faith, even in particular. And so I'm wondering if you can just speak to the beauty and that freedom of structure and what you learned from it as you experience it yourself. Wow. When you say freedom, Ben, that's a key word. When we wrote the jazz of preaching, the subtitle is how to preach with great freedom Mm. and joy. So if jazz is nothing else, it's freedom. Allow me to read, and this is along with your expression, your beautiful expression, Ben. Terry Lynn Carrington is one of the world's great jazz artists, writers, a premier percussionist, teaches at Berkeley here in New England, and just a legend. Terry Lynn Carrington is an icon. She has a CD called Jazz is a Spirit. Okay, and here's some of the wording of that CD. 
jazz, can you hear it? She's playing the drums and there's music and then there's speaking that goes on. Jazz, can you hear it? Jazz is a spirit. Perpetual moments of pure creativity. Jazz is abandonment, abandonment within boundaries. Mm. There you go, Ben. Mm. Abandonment within boundaries. The logical undoing of what you think it's supposed to be. Jazz is collective storytelling, expressing the history and experience of a people. Jazz means no category, allowing for continuous progression. Jazz is a spirit. Can you hear it? Mm. Can you hear it? That's just, you know... (laughs) That we have a a reality that honors preparation, that honors notation, that honors planned music and all of that. But at the same time says, you can play beyond that. You can be creative in the moment. And if you are as loyal to the moment and yourself and the spirit and the audience, if you are as loyal to them as you are to your preparation, and as you are to what's on that sheet, hallelujah can happen. Something amazing can happen. And that to me is being able to respond positively to God's invitation for us to co-create, to be co-creators. Yeah. And it's just, it's an amazing, amazing thing. And it can be subversive as well. Ben, you said something about subversive. Billy Holiday, Strange Fruit. Strange Fruit, yes. I was just thinking about that. There's no more subversive. It's a song about lynching. Who does that? Who is able to sing about that, acknowledging the hurt, the horror, the pain, and then coming through it to say, yet we live. Yeah. Yet we live. That jazz has that power. Yeah. And it's amazing. I heard a rendition of Strange Fruit by an artist named Niall Jones over the weekend at the Jazz Fest. And I was reminded, I mean, that song is truly timeless. We call a lot of music timeless, but that song to me is truly timeless. No matter what era you're listening in, it takes you to a place, whether you've seen or experienced that violence or not. Um, and then it it brings you out of a place. I was just amazed at it all over again. So I'm glad you brought that song up. Hey, it is timeless. And Terry Lynn Carrington has a version of Strange Fruit. And I believe it's, no, it's something I'm thinking of another song come Sunday with Natalie Cole. Mm. But there's a version of Strange Fruit that Terry Lynn Carrington does that's different. Mm. But at the same time, it's moving. And you're thinking now of Ukraine. we got these stuff that happens yeah. in our world that's beyond expression. Yeah. But we do need to express. So how do we do it? Music, mm. poetry, writing. And thank God for testimonies like Strange Fruit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so to broaden it out a little bit, uh, what are the ways that our listeners can begin to tap into some of this where we're paying attention to the creativity of others, whether that be jazz or maybe it's some other form of artistic expression, and somehow taking that in to learn the lessons that you feel like you have learned from jazz? What's kind of the key to opening that door for people? Wow. These questions, man. <laughs> I love beautiful, I love I love beautiful questions. I have an expression, and I think it's from the jazz consciousness that's continuing to develop in me, and that is to live with lavish openness, to live with lavish openness and radical receptivity. Lavish openness and radical receptivity. And to have that as a, a mindset, 
so that I go through life um, with, as Duke Ellington, great jazz pianist, band leader, writer, he said he lived with his ears 10 feet high. One of the jazz critics said of Duke Ellington that he had an experimental disposition. Jazz musicians don't have a monopoly on having an experimental disposition. We can all have that. We can all live with ears 10 feet high. Duke Ellington, again, would compose over 2,000 songs. Duke, what's your favorite? My next one. <laughs> so he just, I love that answer. He doesn't have a monopoly on expectation, anticipation, thinking, believing, trusting that the best is yet to be. Those lessons transcend musicality. You know, even if you never are a lover of jazz, you can become a lover of freedom, a lover of creativity, anticipation, a lover of humility, because it takes humility to live with lavish openness and radical receptivity. It says, I haven't learned it all. In fact, I'm just starting. And so I think there are tenets of jazz that are universal. Again, I just say hallelujah to be in a world. I'm so glad that I didn't go through life. And I'm 63 now. It would have been horrible to go through life and miss jazz. You know, you get to the pearly gates and somebody said, did you get to enjoy jazz? Now I have an answer. <laughs> and I'll say, where's the jazz room in glory? Because look, if there's no jazz in heaven, it ain't heaven. <laughs> if there's no jazz in glory, it ain't glory. Yeah. 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 What people don't know is that in constant rotation at the gates are God's trombones. <laughs> 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 I've actually heard that album and I know what you're talking about. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And this is a jazz-like conversation. We're riffing now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, and it's just wonderful to be able to talk about it, to laugh about it, because, again, we're doing it against the backdrop of some, you know, deeply grievous things going on in our world. And so we need, thank God, for a reservoir, right, place, an entity that can inspire and breathe life into us amidst it all and through it all. Thank God. Yeah. Yeah. As you were talking, it you got me really, really thinking on all the things that inspire me about music and jazz in general, Dr. Jones. And I'm thinking about collective and communal liberation. If folks haven't had a chance to like listen to or see like a jazz group live, there's this thing that happens where like there is just solo after solo, and you both have the freedom as a musician to just go where you where you need to go. But you were also actually playing off of the people that have played before you, right? And connecting to the people that are going to play after you, you know, so you're expressing your freedom that is also contributing to the freedom of the other musicians in your group. And if that ain't what we need right now, right, a collective communal sense of participation in each other's freedom and being freed and being liberated. And uh, it's, it's blowing my mind. Yeah, I, I love it. I, I love it. <laughs> hey, Ben, you're right on with that. Wynton Marsalis, a nice jazz player. <laughs> legendary jazz player from New Orleans talks, writes a whole lot about jazz and democracy. And, you know, he sees jazz as a wonderful example of democracy. Participative. One must listen. If you're going to play well with others, you've got to listen first. Mm -hmm. And then show up. Mm -hmm. 
show up, don't hold back, bring what you got, because the expectation is, is you've got something as valuable as I have, and we all need it. And look, I'm going to get just as much joy out of listening to you as I am out of playing. Let's have a time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's have a time. There's a person, Thelonious Monk, great jazz pianist who had a percursive uh, style, you know, when he played the piano. Anybody who knows Monk's playing, you know it's Thelonious Monk. And Monk would also do something else very beautiful and playful when it was really going well with his band. He'd get up from the piano and just start dancing. There's this little jig that he would do a little dance step that he would do. And one of the band players said, when Monk danced, they knew they were on it. Mm. They knew they were in the groove. They knew they were in the pocket whenever Monk danced. And so there's this outlandish joy as well that jazz is a testament to. And thank God for joy. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, as we come to the end of our time here, Dr. Jones, what are just some words of encouragement that you can give? You've referenced several times the culture that we're living in right now, the trials and tribulations that we're facing. And I think we need to, number one, lament those things. We need to grieve those things. We need to be present in those things. But also, what is the hope and the things that will carry us through these times for you? Oh, my goodness. Oh, what another question. Love is insistent. Love will not be stopped. Hate has a word, but never the last word. Suffering has a word, but never the last word. Jazz to me says that love has the last word, that joy has the last word. Even in Ukraine with the the horrible stories, there are other stories of children uh, drawing on walls, making pictures on walls. This week, there was a concert. I think Bono went down and sang in one of the places one of the underground areas where people are using now for residency. And he went and just started singing. And I saw another clip of a young girl who was singing. There are these testimonies to life, the insistence of life. To me as a gospel preacher, that tells me to keep on keeping on. Mm. You know, that no matter how deep the hurt, love is always deeper through it all. We're going to make it. And God winks with no small joy, with no small joy. To me, those are some of the testimonies. And I dare our listeners to listen to some Ella. (laughs) Ella Fitzgerald, there must be a God because there's an Ella Fitzgerald. She's proof of the existence of Louis Armstrong should have been dead as a teenager. Now the airport in New Orleans is named after him. You know, we talked before we came on, man. I dare people to pick up little Jimmy Scott. You know, and listen to, I dare, Ben, when did you leave heaven? Listen to Jimmy Scott sing, when did you leave heaven? And you will be convinced that he was the one (laughs) who was on heaven's terrain and then left. It had to be him with the voice. And there are all these other wonderful souls, you know. Oh, we see, you know, we've talked for about 30 minutes. We haven't said anything about John Coltrane and Love Supreme. My God. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's a whole show right there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, all of that, all mm-hmm. of that, Matt and Ben, all of that. Jazz is all that. Yeah. 
Well, thank you, Dr. Jones. Yeah, we've only been talking for about a half hour. I feel like I could talk to you for, for hours on end. But unfortunately, we all have things we need to get to. So where can folks find you and follow your work if they're so interested? Well, thank you for giving me an opportunity to invite everyone to kirkbjones.com, kirkbjones.com. All the books are there, The Jazz of Preaching, The Spiritual Treasure of Jazz. I also write a lot about jazz in a book called Fulfilled, Living and Leading with Unusual Mm. Wisdom, Peace, and Joy, published in 2014. I continue to live jazz. I continue to explore and discover. Right now, it's about being a soulful, creative, explorative person. And I have jazz to thank for that. Jazz has revolutionized my life. And I, again, thankful to no end for that. Persons, again, kirkbjones.com. I'm on Facebook at Say Yes to Grace. Yes to Grace. Mm -hmm. And Soul Talk is also another Facebook page. So folks can see me there. Okay. Well, Dr. Jones, we thank you so much for your time. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. And uh, we hope to talk to you again sometime before too long. Thank you, Matt. Always good to see you. Take care. Ben, good meeting you, sir. Likewise, sir. It's a blessing. So that was Dr. Kirk Byron Jones talking about jazz and the intersections with faith and spirituality. Ben, what are some of the things that you take away from that interview? You know, I don't know that I have a whole lot to add that wasn't said in the interview. I did appreciate Dr. Jones playing with us around the ideas of music and liberation, music and freedom, music and structure. It was just fun to think through some of that stuff in real time with him and to consider how it might be applied to our broader lives in general. I've seen this and felt this happen in other interviews in which what we're talking about isn't exclusive to communal life or congregational life. It seems to apply both to us as individuals and to our communities. And I really appreciate that fluidity of the conversation. Mm -hmm. What stood out and energized you? Yeah, well, it's interesting. I remember very distinctly him saying that our conversation was jazz-like in the way that we were progressing. And I think it's funny because as I try to recall the specific subject matter of what we talked about, it's a little slippery. But as I reflect on that, it seems appropriate. (laughs) that There are those times and those things that in the moment are enjoyable a life-giving and fulfilling. I love talking to Dr. Jones. I always just enjoy conversations with him. And it just reminds me of a good piece of music or like the books of Richard Rohr, that when you Mm. finish it, you know that you have been changed in some way and you know you have felt something deeply, but it's hard to really put your mind around precisely what it was that happened. And I enjoy those experiences because those experiences, because they're not easy to categorize, because they're not easy to dissect, but they're so enjoyable, it makes you want to return for more of that same kind of experience. So I just appreciated just being in the conversation with him. It was just a lot of fun. Absolutely. And for those that are wondering, Matt, you just had this conversation. How have you already forgotten what you talked about? You know, we usually record these several days, if not several weeks after we had the interview. And so in this case, we're recording this, I think, two days after talking with Dr. Byron Jones. So it hasn't been long. But we've slept a couple times since then. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. But one of the things that it reminded me of is just the fact that I love paying attention to people who are passionate about something that I am not necessarily passionate about. And especially when they see the intersection of that thing with their faith or their belief in God. Mm. And so listening to Dr. Jones talk about how jazz is so important to him, to his life and his faith, And just reminding me how 
the expressions of God show up differently in different people, but it's so beautiful to see. And I think that as we talk about community, being together in community with others, paying attention to what lights other people up can inform us and show us the greatness of the divine around us because we're seeing the different expressions of beauty, the different expressions of personality that really reflect an infinite divine as opposed to just, you know, assuming that God is like I think God is Mm. and that God is, you know, only works in people the way I think God works in people. Yes. And I think what jazz and maybe music in general, but jazz in particular asks us is, you know, what is possible? Right. It feels like a constant invitation to hold that question. And that's something that we can take beyond music and into our lives, into our communities, into our relationships, just having that orientation of like, okay, what is possible here? And I think that's really beautiful and it can be healing. And so I appreciate how deep you can go with music, you know, not just the theory or the philosophy, but but just thinking about the way that it moves us as people. You know, you mentioned not remembering everything that was said in the interview but you remember how you felt, right? And I'm having the same experience. I remember how I felt during the interview and coming out of it. And that is, I believe, even more important. And so it's just a reminder to me that, you know, we do this work and a lot of times it's easy to get caught up on the specific ideas that are being communicated on the way that we're saying a thing. And that is important. That does have its place. But man, when you can move with the spirit, when you can be in that flow state and just be connected to another person, that is really rich and we can't always quantify why that is important. But I think experientially, we all know that it's important. But even in my own rhythms and movements, those moments don't happen frequently enough. And so that conversation was and is a reminder to ask what's possible and to seek out what is beyond kind of the limits of our words and our intellectualizing of things. Yeah. And it also speaks to me of the dropping of agendas that in a conversation like that, and listeners of the podcast may or may not know that a lot of times we just move into these conversations. They're not very scripted. We don't have a lot of questions prepared, but we just kind of let our natural curiosity lead us where it wants to go. And I think there's a beauty in that lack of agenda sometimes that you go to unexpected places, you find unexpected things, you have unexpected experiences. And so, you know, in very Christian terms, it's like leaving room for the spirit to move, right? Mm -hmm. My grandmother, my mom's mom, was very against pastors writing prayers in advance. She didn't understand why they would do that because prayer is supposed to be about the spirit moving you. So as an example of a, a way of thinking about that. But where are the points in our congregational communities where we can set aside agenda and allow for the spirit to move, for lack of a better phrase? And just see what comes out of that, because a lot of real beauty and unexpectedness can come out of those spaces. Agree a thousand percent. And I'm glad you shared that story about your grandmother, because I got to tell you, when I was first introduced to like mainline Christians, I had the same experience as she did. I'm like, you're you're reading a prayer. What is what? Who what? People do this? How? It was so strange because, you know, I'm from a charismatic evangelical background. Mm hmm. And prayers weren't read, like you got to the microphone and you said what you were going to say in the moment, you know? And so even when I pray today, like I pray extemporaneously, whether public or private, it just, it still feels strange to me to like write something out in advance. (laughs) So I'm with her, I'm with her. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and this interview also just brings to mind for me the way that I grew up in my faith tradition, that there was such a stark divide between sacred and secular Mm. and never the twain shall meet. Mm. And I think 
as I was looking for resources around this topic, there was literally a Google hit that said, is it okay for Christians to listen to jazz? And so this sense that jazz is something that is maybe dangerous or scary and it might be a corrupting influence. And, you know, I don't really want to get into that part of the conversation here, but just to say that if we believe in a God who is present and active in all the world, surely that God is present and active, not just in the people who think about and believe in that God. Surely the God is, to go back to the very beginning of the episode, magnanimous enough Mm -hmm. (laughs) to be able to enter into spaces and creativity where people are creating things that they may not have any kind of personal belief, but yet the beauty of creation, the beauty of infinity, the beauty of art and expression is still found because we are all created from that same source. And so I just think finding those places in your life and the things that you love and enjoy and not considering them secular things, but considering them because they are a part of who you are or others in your congregational community, that they have these loves and passions that may not on the surface seem to be, quote, sacred in any manner, but they are things that give that person life and energy. And therefore, there is something to it. There is something important to it. And I think when we can share those things together, that actually brings in more expression of who God is Mm -hmm. into our communities. I'm glad that you named that this false distinction between the secular and the sacred is something that we can challenge and be curious about, because I do think we can miss out on blessings as a result of this hard and fast binary that probably doesn't actually exist. So I'm glad that you named that. And you mentioned remembering that as a result of looking at resources. So I'm curious what resources you want to highlight for this episode today. Yeah, I've actually got two. One that is very specifically related to the topic that we talked about and one that is a little more related to the conversation that we've just been having. The first one is an article by Faith and Leadership, which is Jazz Belongs in Church. And the subline here is a pastor who is a trained pianist discovered that he did not have to choose between jazz and Jesus and that the spiritual power of the creative improvisational art form can be a tool to help his congregation Hmm. experience God. So, you know, granted, this article may not be for everyone, because, again, if you are not a fan of jazz or conversant with jazz, maybe it won't speak to you. But I think it is an article that just reading through it, again, be thinking about those things that are precious to you and that are creative and life-giving to you and how you might be able to find intersection of those things with your congregational life. It's just a neat story of someone who was able to bring jazz into the congregation in a very meaningful way that really just uh, expanded the congregation's imagination. Mm. Mm. So what about you, Ben? What do you have? So I'm thinking about, you know, this idea of expanding our imaginations. And one of the realms that I think we can do that in is in the realm of like self-care or therapeutic care. And so I wanted to bring just a general resource about music therapy. For those that that aren't familiar with music therapy, it's an evidence-based treatment that is used to treat a variety of disorders like cardiac conditions, depression, autism, substance abuse, Alzheimer's, and many other issues. But it's not something that I think many people utilize very frequently. Maybe it's not meant to be, but in light of our conversation, in light of what we were talking about with jazz and music in general being connected to the human condition, I thought it was appropriate to just bring this uh, resource from the Cleveland Clinic about what music therapy is. And if you're someone who has been looking for therapeutic treatment or you've tried, you know, talk therapy and it didn't seem to quite hit the spot, then I think it'd be worth talking with someone about music therapy and exploring that as an option. So I'm going to make sure that gets uh, listed among the resources today. Yeah, thanks for that, Ben. I've heard good things about music therapy and its benefits, so appreciate you bringing that to the table. 
Yeah. Yeah. Right, hit us with your last one, sir. Yeah. The other resource I wanted to bring is a book that was kind of important to me at one point in my life. It's called Sacred Pathways, Nine Ways to Connect with God by Gary Thomas. Mm. And the author basically argues that we often think of the ways of connecting with God as solely reading your Bible or praying, but he delineates how there are basically nine different ways. It's not a one-size-fits-all, and some of it has to do with silence, with nature, just different ways of conceptualizing how we connect with God. And it just really opens up the possibilities and understands the full-orb human condition of how we're able to connect with God. It is written from a Christian perspective, so it'd be best for those in the Christian tradition, but just a very interesting book. There's also a video Bible study available for groups and individuals, but it was just really impactful for me at a time. I had a very narrow understanding of how to connect with God, and it really opened up the possibilities for me. It sounds really impactful, and it reminds me of a consistent, I think, theme of this episode and maybe even of our podcast in general. But, you know, I think in this episode, at least, we're continually inviting folks to consider what could be possible and to remember that however we're defining God or our spirit, however we're defining God or the divine, that it is likely beyond what we normally imagine. Thus, we probably are limited in the ways that we believe we can connect with it, we can engage with it. And so it sounds like the book that you're bringing, it fits right in with that theme. And I love that. So thanks for bringing it. Yeah. And if I may, I've got a, a bit of a coda. I have no idea what a coda is, so you may. A coda. Oh. <laughs> it's usually an additional piece of music on the end, almost like a postlude. Uh, so, okay. Yeah. All my music nerds are like really happy that I said that. They're overjoyed. Or just groaning. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's a dad joke. I'm a dad. It's a fine I come line. by it honest. But I just wanted to share an interesting epiphany that I had recently about music in general. Mm-hmm. So I have a friend who has listened in the last 20 years, listened to over 150,000 songs by over 2,000 artists. <laughs> He's a very well-versed individual in music. And our tastes don't really align very well. And we were listening to some... Norwegian folk mm-hmm. recently, Naturally. which is definitely not my go-to. That's not the DNA of my Spotify playlist. <laughs> but I began to realize that I viewed listening to music that really there was only kind of one way to listen to music, which is kind of a casual, mm. you know, you're kind of paying attention to it, maybe kind of not, allowing the lyrics to sink in a bit and just, you know, bop in your head along with it or whatever, and just a, kind of a very casual way of doing it. But with this album, the most recent album that we listened to, I begin to realize that there are different ways of listening to music, that my friend listens to music. Shout out to Jason White, my friend in Japan. He listens to music like he's watching a film, Mm. that there is not distraction. He has headphones on and he's sitting back, usually eyes closed, but allowing the music to spark his imagination, to see things, to feel things. And it had never occurred to me to listen to music in that way. So I'm actually excited that in the near future, I'm going to do that. And so just as a piece of, not advice, but just an awakening that I had that might help someone who's listening to think about music a little bit differently, maybe try to expand your horizons a bit. And, you know, the creativity that's put into music, there's a lot that goes into it. You know, we listen to songs on the radio and we assume that it's a pretty easy thing, but there's a lot of effort and creativity behind it. And maybe it's worthwhile to try to drink it in a little bit more, to take time to really listen well and to allow it to do its job of sparking the imagination, stirring our emotions, stirring our heart, and just seeing what it does. Mm. Well said. 
I think that's especially prudent with certain types of music. You know, we spent some time in the interview talking about the song Strange Fruit by Billie Holiday. And so a song like that is one that I think you really have to sit with and even like be in the right mental and emotional space to take in just so you're getting the full range that is possible when you're experiencing or when you're listening so that you're getting the full range of experience possible when you're listening to that song because there's so much grief and bitterness mm. in it that if you're just kind of casually listening, layers will probably mm. be lost. So that's a good reminder. Yeah. Thanks, Ben. Well, hey, everyone, we really appreciate you listening to this episode and any episodes that you listen to. We want to thank the Lilly Endowment for their generosity in funding the Center for Congregations. They essentially take care of us so that we can offer these kinds of things as uh, gifts to congregations in Indiana and throughout the world, actually, at this point. Absolutely. And we want to thank our audio engineer, Jaden Lee, for keeping us on track and helping us sound good. Really appreciate the hard work that you put into this. For those that aren't doing so already, please take a moment and leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. That's the quickest way for new listeners to find this podcast. And you can always follow us on Facebook or Instagram at the Center for Congregations. And be sure to check out the Congregational Resource Guide, that's thecrg.org, to find additional resources that might be beneficial to your congregation and community. Yeah, and we'd love to hear from you. We do have an email inbox, podcast at centerforcongregations.org. That goes directly to Ben and I. And we would love for you to let us know if there are topics that you'd love us to tackle in the future, if there are resources that you think might be helpful for other people, if you think that there is a specific guest that might be useful. And uh, we're happy to give you a shout out. If you email us, we will let other listeners know that you did and share whatever resource or topic you thought about. We'd love to hear from you. And now is actually a really great time to email us because... We're winding down season four. We've got two more episodes-ish after this one. Uh, We just have a few more episodes after this one. And so we're planning for season five. And so if you have topics or suggestions, let us know now and we can weave that into our planning for the next season. However, if you are listening to this in 2027, note that it's too late to get into season five. Hopefully we'll be into about season 12 or 13 by that point. There we go. Shout out to the future audience. And finally, we want to thank all of our listeners. And I picked an easy geographic location today. We want to thank all of our listeners in Indianapolis, Indiana. Appreciate y'all listening. And we'd love to hear from you. So if you're listening from Indianapolis, hit us up at podcast at centerforcongregations.org and let us know that you're listening. Yep. And Ben's in Indy. So hit him up. I'm sure he'd love to talk with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, this has been the Center for Congregations podcast. And for the Center for Congregations, I am Matt Burke. And I am Ben Tapper. Take care, y'all.